The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. Too long has the world gone with only 623 podcasts about superheroes. Now, finally, Totally Super Podcast brings you 624. And here is Totally Super Podcast with your hosts, Justin and Arthur. And scene. Hi. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> people are like like oh arthur's announcing himself yeah there's nothing yeah because you know in a world where in there are world. podcasts about superheroes here is a podcast here's, a, about here's another podcast about superheroes yes this is the podcast that we've been talking about doing for the past nine months and have finally started doing i can't believe we're here and we were supposed to do it like nine months ago, but then we we're doing the pop-off podcast, which you can find at geeksradio.com or by searching pop-off on iTunes. Um, wow. And, Two minutes and, for the first plug. Awesome. Well done, I know. Sir. Well, well it's, done. It's, well, I'm just laying the groundwork, man. It's all about yep. infrastructure. Yep. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this is it. This is um, totally super. Um, my name is Justin. And I'm Arthur. And um, our goal here is to make our way through. This is a, this is a self-ending podcast in that eventually... We will it, eventually. In today's market, though, is it a self-ending podcast? Is I it see really? our, I see us in like seven years saying, and that's it for Totally Super, um, but we'll check in three, four times a year. I imagine that's going to be what happens, or 11 times. Who knows? Yes. Who knows what's going to happen? But for it, now- let's put, it, let's put it this way, that if we actually run out of material before our lives lead us to a point where we run out of steam for the podcast- I will be shocked. I will be deeply pleased, but I will be shocked. Well, I have unending energy for superhero uh, movies and stuff. Uh, tell me about your experience with uh, with superhero movies to start with. Um, yeah, okay. Is- so, uh, well, again, totally superhero. We're going to be t- – the, the reason why we're self-ending is because we are going to try to review every superhero film ever made. And so long as we keep making podcasts at a higher rate that they make superhero films, uh, we will eventually run out. Uh, and we 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 had we had said, of course, that we given that there are so many direct to video podcasts and stuff like that, that we are going to like hold it to theatrically released uh, superhero movies. So of yes. course, the first one we're doing was Internet Only. And yes, never <laughs> been theatrically released. That's a good point. Theatrically released, with exception. You know, if we find yeah. that something is particularly important, like I really think it's going to be there's going to be at least one or two DC animated movies that sure, we're going to have yeah. to review. Well, and I think that this, um, first of all, this has been played in theaters many times individually mm-hmm. here and there. It's a, it's the Rocky people. The people do like live shows of we're doing Doctor Horrible Singalong blog, which of course you all know because yeah. it was in the title. Um, but uh, but like this was people do this uh, movie all around like like with a live cast in front and stuff. So yeah, like like I think that I think it sort of counts. Anyway, um when I first met you, you didn't strike me as the superhero type. You would anime. I saw about a bit of Star Wars Extended Universe, a lot of um I Final mean, Fantasy I was predominantly and stuff. I was predominantly and still am predominantly fantasy driven. Um, you know, fantasy literature, fantasy and sci-fi. Uh now there is a lot of overlap with superheroes because uh, both of them really deal with big mythic archetypes. You know, you've got the hero uh, who has to have an origin, who realizes something about him or herself, and you know, we're talking, we're you know, we're 
both of these are genres that usually paint with pretty bold colors and broad strokes. The reason why I wasn't too into superheroes at the time that you met me was, excuse me, uh, at the time, there weren't a ton of superhero films, because again, this is 15 years ago. And also, uh, if you wanted to be into comics, you had to have gotten in on some level of ground floor and also had access to a good comic store and a certain amount of disposable income to keep track of all the storylines. Especially up, Marvel comics. Especially, especially Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. I grew up in South America, so I had none of those things. Uh, now, since that time, uh, there have been a lot more superhero films that have come out. Uh, Marvel has released its Marvel Unlimited program. I th- uh, I feel for you, for my discussions with you, that was the big... Suddenly, oh, you were talking to me about Daredevil and X-Men and huge, stuff. That you would huge. Never the, ability, the ability for 10 bucks a month to be able to sit down and also, instead of having to wait from month to month, to say... I could just, hey, this X-Men title looked good. Yeah, it's 200 episodes. I could binge this in two weeks uh, on 10 bucks a month. Suddenly, I feel like I'm catching up. Now, I have enough background knowledge that I can go and watch YouTube videos where people explain other theories and things like that. So I, feel only, so I finally feel like I'm caught up enough with, uh, with comic books. And as I suspected, I love them. Uh, they're great. My only, the only thing that makes me sad now is I, my knowledge of DC comics is very limited because DC hasn't done something like Marvel did. So, and Dark Horse, uh, by the way, for us yeah. Buffy collectors, come yeah, on. Yeah, so you guys, uh, go on, get on that. Well, and it's interesting because um, when I think about my favorite comic book superheroes, the ones that I love the best... Um, I'm a Marvel guy. I was a Marvel guy my whole life. I collected the X-Men. I had at one point like seven or eight boxes full of of comics and they were worth a lot. And I, I started around X-Men 215 in the 80s and then I worked backward like 10 years um, in my collecting. So I would I would take all of my all of the disposable income I had, all the lawns I would mow, and I would mm-hmm. get a ride 30 minutes to the nearest comic store because the nearest one was 30 minutes away at that point. So yeah, I would spend uh, one, like $20 on, on one book just get one issue back um to find out this issue and sometimes you'd hit the main ones like like you know x-men 137 where dark where you know dark phoenix dies or you know the Mm -hmm. um and and you finally get to that issue that you heard about forever and then you finally be able to read it and i you know there was a point where my collection was worth like 20 dollars because that's what i had done for like so long and it all increased in value and then prior to marvel unlimited marvel started re-releasing everything in like big trades and then I remember same- you lent me. You lent me. Uh, you had one of the big, like, black and white trade paperbacks of X Men, and uh, yeah, that's how. That was the first. I mean, that's. I read a lot of the Chris Claremont years from that. Yeah, well, and that's, and then what happened, of course, is is eBay came out, and suddenly people were selling their comics for a tenth of what they were or used to be worth, and the market fell out, as far as I was concerned, and mm-hmm. so I, you know. I sold most of what I had. I kept what was precious to me. I kept the entire run of Excalibur. Um, I kept the entire run of the New Mutants. Um, mm-hmm. And then I uh, sold most of my X-Men um, to my dismay. I, I have to say, I kind of regret it now. I wish I had them. Although with Marvel Unlimited, I mean, you know, for 10 bucks a month, I mean, if I think about it, like, think about this. Think of how much money that I spent on all those books as a kid in the 80s when money meant more both to me personally and in the economy. And I go, okay, so I'm I'm like 41 now. I may live 30 more years. That means for $3,000 for the rest of my life, I can read all of Marvel. Yeah. For the rest of my life. Yep. 
That's and like, even up to now they don't have. There are certain titles I noticed that they're still missing, but that's like some really obscure stuff. And they even have it up to like within the past six months. So like, if you're okay being six months behind what's current, then you're good to go. Yeah. Um, superhero movies, of course. Uh, when we were growing up, um, really all you had was Superman. Um, you would yeah, Superman and you, Batman. You, well, you had Batman. You had the Adam West Batman on TV, and they did do oh, a movie. Well, I mean, that. no, for I mean, for me, um, you know, you're older than me, so there's that. But yes. uh, uh, like Batman was very much part of my childhood, and I'm talking about the Tim Burton, like when Batman. Well, and came that's to the what theaters, that's what I that, watched that all the time. Well, I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to back up before that because I, you know, that came out for me when I was going into eighth grade, so mm-hmm. pre adolescence, and I was already collecting comic books at that point. You had some TV outings. You had the Super Friends. You had Spider-Man and, Ama- and his Amazing Friends, which was you know mm-hmm. an introduction to pretty much the whole Marvel Universe appears in there at one point or another. There's a yep. bunch of X-Men episodes. Iron Man's in there at one point or another. You had the Incredible Hulk TV show. Um, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, the old Batman. And then you had, you know, theatrically, you really had, you had Superman and then the occasional other one-off. But really all you had was Superman and there were four of those, two of which were good. Um mm-hmm. And that's all you had. And then you're right. In 1989, the whole world changed um, because uh, Bat- Tim Burton's Batman came out. And I remember there was like Batmania at that point. Like the whole world's wearing Batman T-shirts. And it was amazing. This is happening. And Prince and wrote a Batman movie- song. Yeah. Prince wrote a Batman album. Yeah. Like, like a whole album of Batman songs. Um and and the idea was that Batman, who was silly, he was he was the silly, campy guy, um, had been turned around as a character in the comics to something much darker. Yeah. Um and and this movie was taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um and in in retrospect, you watch, you know, Batman eighty nine next to, you know, the Dark Knight, and suddenly it seems very campy. But at yeah. the time, it was like, holy crap, like this is like gonna be like, like, there's real fighting and real action and stars. Jack Nicholson, for goodness sake. Yeah, and um, I mean, and the Joker was, like, it wasn't, that was also one of the first times that instead of having a muhaha, I am an evil villain who is out for, like, money uh, sort of type, You instead you had someone that was like, oh, no, this guy's just a straight-up psychopath. Yeah. Like, the Joker was, that was the first time that the Joker, as opposed from being... Uh, you know, the clown prince of, you know, the Caesar Romero sort of, uh, C- not Hello, Caesar Romero. Hello, Batman! Yeah, yeah. Hello, you know, it suddenly he was just like, oh, God. It was he's... Caesar Romero, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, the, uh, you know, suddenly he's just twisted and sadistic. And, uh, yeah, it, it changed a lot. Um, and then, of course, after, uh, after Batman, um, uh, you had the the kind of the the beginning, the trickling in of of oh this is successful, so I guess we'll try this and I guess we'll try that. Um, some direct video stuff, you know, some yeah, famously- a lot of false starts in the nineties. I'm lot sure, of I'm sure that we are going to cover Roger Corman's uh, Fantastic Four and the failed Captain America movie. I'm sure the Dolph that- Lundgren Punisher. Yeah, um, uh, we're gonna, we're, you know, the the return of the Incredible Hulk to TV screens, bringing in other Marvel characters like Daredevil. Um, um, and then in 19, uh, in, in 1992, you had Batman Returns, which came out, which was, um, the beginning of Batman as a franchise, but also the first 
what some people said was a misstep. Now, it's my favorite of them, and we'll talk about it when the mm-hmm. time comes. But it was suddenly, is the bloom off the rose? Um, it, it, was it too daring? What's going on? So mm-hmm. um, so you eventually had Batman Forever that came after some, that. Some people have said that it's, uh, some arguments that have been raised against it was that it was too Tim Burton, whereas the original yeah. Batman was just Tim Burton. Sure. Just Tim Burton enough. Um. And then you have Batman Forever, which which you know tried to become very corporate, but the mask was also coming in. All of a sudden, superhero movies with the advent of of digital technology to be able to do stuff. I mean, um, really, it's CGI that has made mar- that have yeah. made superhero movies possible. Um, and then and then it all came crashing down because Batman and Robin came out and Whoa. just tanked. It I never tanked. thought about that, but you're right. That movie didn't just kill that franchise; it killed the genre. Yeah, people were like, oh, we're, I guess the superhero thing isn't really going to happen. Um, and then after that, there were false starts. Again, Superman Returns, a false start. Um, uh, you know, The Shadow, uh, absolutely tanked in theaters. Sin City did okay. Um, mm-hmm. but, but by and large, superhero movies were kind of falling out of vogue. Um, and then, and I think it was 1990, I think, no, it was 2000. X-Men came out. And X-Men... Which came out first? Was it Spider-Man or X-Men? No, X-Men came out. I think even X2 came out before Spider-Man. I know that X-Men came out. And suddenly, here you had a movie that there was no camp in that first X-Men. That movie just took it seriously, took it not just like like gravely seriously, but took it emotionally seriously. Yeah, Um, and actually was specifically, specifically denied camp in the sense that there was that one line of like what you know what do you expect us to wear blue and yellow spandex yeah and 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 that they they decided that to make these characters have emotional truths which is something that you did not see in superhero movies up to X-Men that point. was the first time um so of the comics that I'd read up to that point like I knew about Wolverine like I'd read some stuff I hated Wolverine I thought he was over the top cheesy just an ass um and then I saw the X-Men film and what Hugh Jackman did with it. Now, I've heard that Hugh Jackman specifically did not read any of the comics before he filmed the movie. I don't know if that's true. It would make sense if that was the case. He brought an emotional depth to Wolverine that I loved. He still carried all of the rage, but there was nothing over the top or uh, <laughs> the, the quote-unquote the bubness of it I didn't see. And for the first time, I liked Wolverine. And now, with that image of Wolverine in my mind, I go back and I reread the previous comics, and I like them. I like Wolverine in the earlier comics a whole lot more. Yeah. Well, and 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 X two came out, and even de- deepened that. Right at this point, now the X Men was being used clearly as an as an alleg- allegory for um for you know gay panic, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Spider-Man comes out and blows the roof off. It just yeah. blows. Oh man, that first Spider-Man, it set the record, didn't it? For yeah. Oh, for it was box it was, office. Yeah, it was just this enormous thing, this enormous, huge, massive thing. And suddenly, like superheroes were back again, and mm-hmm. and you started getting a ton of superhero movies. You eventually get Blade. Uh, Blade is interesting in that it is the first movie, um, and we'll talk about all this, but the first movie historically that Marvel decided to put out of its own stuff. 
Um, Fantastic Four comes out, which is Fox uh, doubling down on the X-Men thing. Sony's got Spider-Man. Warner Brothers has got all the DC characters. Um, mm-hmm. And then Christopher Nolan comes around and makes decides what if we can make uh, what if we can make superheroes absolutely real? What if you took away any flights of fancy? And he brings in Batman Begins, which still has plenty of flights of fancy. If you watch yeah, it now, I th- you know, yeah, oh. that's the thing. It's the I'm like it's one of those. I think he it really is. It's like okay, let's lean hard into the realistic. But I think the mis- the mistake that he avoided making the reason why I think Batman Begins works is because even though Christopher Nolan leaned hard into that realistic, he understood that he's like okay, at the end of the day, this is still a superhero film. Yeah. Um, and especially did, with Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Dark Dark Knight is a gangster film until at the very end, Batman gets a a, a radar that lets him see through walls and everything going. It's almost yeah. a video game at the end. It's just like mm-hmm. it's like yeah, we're just gonna go all out now. Let's just yeah, just do it. and that's Let's, okay. Um, where does Iron Man fall in this? Because I remember because Iron so, Man was pretty crucial. So Iron Man shows up kind of right around the same time as um as Batman Begins, and uh, Iron Man comes out um as part of. Marvel's well, I guess this is all we got left. Characters, none yeah. of their popular characters were available. Uh, Spider Man, they had sold off to Sony. X Men to Fox. Fantastic Four to Fox. Captain America. Who's going to watch a Captain America movie? Who's going to watch a Thor movie? These are silly. Nobody's going to do. But it's all Marvel has left. So they go for broke. They make they they hire Robert Downey Jr., a, a, an actor who's at this point in Hollywood. Everybody respected his talent, but he they, he was uninsurable because like he was famous for being wasted and showing up in other people like strangers' houses. Like he was doing it. Now he was doing a good job of already at the time of doing PR rehab of the fact that when sure. he appeared on Saturday Night Live, he deliberately made jokes about the fact that he was in jail. Um, his work in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was not a huge hit film but critically was reviewed very well, and he was stellar in and sort of reminded everyone that he was still really, really good. But he was not, he was mostly done. He was, he was you know, going he was off definitely, to the... He was not A-list by any stretch of yeah. the imagination anymore. Um, and in the perfect moment of synergy, uh, John Favreau makes this movie that is, has the series, that, that, that takes the character seriously, but has this snark has this humor to it that you weren't expecting. Um, and it's colorful. And yet it's emo- it's emotionally resonant and colorful and exciting um, and almost pokes fun at itself. It it, it, veer- it veers very close to almost being satire, but isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it interjects this sort of snarky fun into comic movies that had never been there before. Um, yeah. Now, I'd like to say there are two... I think there are two other sort of tangential things that are not directly superhero uh, related, but led to this moment. Excuse me. Uh, The first of them is Lord of the Rings, which was in and of itself a huge mammoth risk, Uh, you know, happened just as the special effects were good enough to handle it. Um, I mean, even Star Wars, the special effects, when the CGI came out and Lucas was all big about the Star Wars prequels, and the special effects, they were cool, but even, even then, I was looking at it saying, okay, now it just looks like it's too clean and polished, and there's yeah. not, like Jar Jar did not feel in any way real. Lord of the Rings took Gollum and actually made him feel real and part yeah, of totally. the world. But, but so Lord of the Rings, though, at the end of the day, it's a big, 
effing big budget, big story, epic myth film. And it worked. Which, and like I said before, superhero films are huge effing big stories. And that, I think, really reassured a lot of producers, okay, we are in an era where this sort of thing can work again. Now, to tie in the second thing, which ties into that whole the John Favreau snark, is at the same time, even though it was still largely cult status at this point, you are seeing the rise of Joss Whedon, you know, the Buffy thing, that kind of. Well, I think that, I, yeah, People I, are I mean, I think about that, that you've got Aaron Sorkin, who, while he never was necessarily, his style is not so much self aware and trope subverting, at the same time, it's. It's very smart. The dialogue is quick. And even in serious moments, it can be lighthearted. We're seeing a shift of dialogue in film as a whole there that I also think really went into Iron Man. I agree. Absolutely. Um, uh, And that's that's it. At the end of Iron Man, as a tag along, just to sort of be fun at the end, it was supposed to be a standalone film. But they're like, wouldn't it be funny if we brought in Samuel L. Jackson? Um, in that, in the ultimate universe, uh, they made Nick Fury look like Samuel L. Jackson and then they thought mm-hmm. they'd bring in Nick Fury and Nisip, have it be Samuel L. Jackson. Who else but Samuel L. Uh, Jackson? Yeah. Um, uh, just coming to go, I'm putting a team together, essentially. I want to talk to you about the Avengers initiative and suddenly boom. Um, oh man, that was really the first post credits. That was the post credits thing that defined the trope for Marvel. Oh Yeah. Um, yeah. And then and then it's worth noting that the that just a few months later uh, after that, um, the Incredible Hulk came out. And at the end of that, there's a post credit scene where Robert Downey Jr. shows up as Iron Man and says, I'm putting a team together. That's right. And yeah. that is and that is suddenly you're like, what these these films are connected and you didn't know they were connected. There was no in mm-hmm. no no way to tell that they no were connected indication. when you're watching them. Yeah, it was just it was another superhero movie. Because you had had a Hulk movie that came out, didn't do that well. And so here's another one, and suddenly you're like, Oh, oh, they're he can do the the Avenger. And then suddenly you're like, wait. And it, then it you're really in the is, mo- It really is worth noting that uh you know, for our younger listeners, so as not to take for granted the uh, the golden age that we're in right now, this is the first time that we have dealt with, um, outside of the comic page, like in any video format, uh, this is the first time that we've been living in a world in which this many movies are being made with this very strong understanding that this is all the same universe. Um, that kind of cross-movie, cross-television synergy uh, this is this is brand new. It's very. Yeah, I'm trying to. Th- I, I I'm trying to think of of any anywhere. I mean, clearly Star Trek is the first one you'd point to, right? You go, you go. There was a, there was a time where there was that where there were two Star Trek series on TV at the same time in the next gen era that would cross over characters from one That's to the true. other, and you'd have movies coming out every two years as well, crossing those characters into films. That's a good um, point. That was one of them. Um, um, the X so Files. The X Files. The X Files did a weird thing one year where, during the summer break, there was a movie between two seasons. Yeah, which um, was still though. I think to, to still that sort of like that. Well, this is a successful TV show. Let's make a movie out of it. The yeah, only thing with the X Files is they hadn't canceled the TV show before doing it. And certainly, you did crossover things um, happen before. I think what makes this so different is that 
these are all scale of it. These are all characters that were worthy of and received their own blockbuster feature film Mm -hmm. first. Um, And that is that is so unprecedented. The only other thing I can really think of truly is um, is uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. It's the only one I can really think of where. Where you Where go, Abbott and Costello had their own series of films, and you had each because uh, that movie yeah, has Universal the said, and- you, yeah, where Universal said, you know what, we're going to throw everything into this. We're going to take literally the greatest stars in our lineup and throw them all into one film. Yeah. Um. Outside of that, it's really hard for me to think of a movie that you know that would dare to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, we're living in the age of Avengers right now. Avengers, when Avengers came out and worked. Uh, it was a massive game changer. Um, and now you've got Agents of Shield, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Um, mm-hmm. you have the 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 various Marvel Netflix series. Um, Justice League uh, has just come out. Yeah, Justice League. This the time of this recording. Justice League is only a few months old. Um, um, the DC universe is trying to do it as well. Everyone's trying to do shared universe, shared universe to the point where mm-hmm. it's a little fatiguing. Yeah. Um, the most successful TV one up to this point had been the DC television universe, which this last season sort of fell apart for me. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping it holds together on like when I can binge it, but it's like everything changed. Um, uh, the advent of streaming, the advent of binge watching, the advent of, oh, of yeah. you know, 3d came out kind of around the same time, premium movie experiences, you know, IMAX being, you know, in every town, like it's it's everything is built up around even Star Wars in its own way has become a shared universe. Yeah. Like they yeah. they very quietly gone from these are movies that go in a particular order to we can throw a movie in like Rogue One. It's just sort of over here. And well, we can have this TV series that's over here. They've got TV series. All the books are now like nothing comes out now with the Star Wars logo on it. Books, comics, TV shows, nothing comes out that is not 100 percent canon. Yeah, um, and that's the idea. The and I think canonicity is part of part of what they're leaning on. And I haven't seen this be such a deal since Star Trek, frankly. Yeah, um, yeah. where you're encouraged in Marvel in Star Wars, kind of oddly enough, everywhere but Star Trek, um, to lean into the idea of this is one big history, and you can mm-hmm. enjoy the historical nature of this. Yeah, so it's it's um, really it's it's a lot of vertical integration there because it's saying, hey, did you like this movie? Well, you know what? Well, somebody say, oh my gosh, like in uh, in Star Wars Rogue One, when someone was like, oh my gosh, I think that was the ghost in that one shot, which is the ship from Star Wars Rebels, which then makes you say, I should go watch Star Wars Rebels, and do that. Like it's well, um, and now, everything builds off of itself. And now you're in this. Uh, now you're in this situation where um, where with with the integration and stuff that you're having. Where the um the experience of watching the movies is is the joining, I guess is, is I'm trying to find a way to put this into words. Um, up through the beginning of phase two, every, the individual movies all happen, and then you are the Avengers. But in this particular phase of Marvel, it seems very much like now every movie is going to have someone from another movie in it. So yeah. Ant Man, Ant Man had you know Falcon show up in it, and. Mm-hmm. And Captain America: Civil War has Iron Man in it, and Thor, Thor has the Ragnarok. Hulk in it. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok was a Thor uh, was a Thor Hulk buddy film. 
And I think that's kind of where they're going now, which is like, you know what? We've got the stable of characters now. We'll have the one who had lines and we'll have another one that, you know, that Black Widow was introduced in Iron Man 2 and is a main character in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I mean, it's like that's, yeah. that's the way that we're going to do this now. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I am thrilled to be. Li- I mean, the like 12 year old me is screaming yeah. that the world is like this now. This is just it's unfair, you guys, that you get to that you get to live in this world. Those of you who are younger than me, who get, you get to live in this world growing up that I did not get to have. Well, think of it this way, though. We have an appreciation for it because I guess that. that's true. I guess that's true. So um, back in 2008, before the Marvel era began, there was a big old writer's strike. Uh, 2007, you and I, were, I thought. 2007. Is it seven? Um, yeah, because I was because I was listening because I was realizing it has been 10 years since that since this movie that we're about to talk about has come out. Which, wow. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, uh, 2008. Um, uh, this is from the Wikipedia page, and we know that Wikipedia is never wrong. You know what? Uh, I, ever. I will go with that. Um, uh, the, uh, hey, it, it was the 2007 to 2008 writer strike. So there we there go. We're both go. right. We're both right. There we go. Um, so uh, you and I were both watching Lost. It's the writer strike, I think, that made Lost uh, better. Um, uh, it, it was, uh, the, basically the writers were, were dealing with residuals, um, as they pertained to, uh, DVDs and the new advent of, of uh, streaming yeah. of, of, of streaming and, and how could, uh, the writers be reimbursed for, for this Joss Whedon, um, who was, uh, between shows at the time, um, who's best known for, uh, his writing probably more than anything else, uh, um, in the Although Serenity of, had just come out, um, yes, yes, Serenity had just come out. Um, he, uh, in the midst of the writer strike, got everyone together as his, uh, in his own personal studio, uh, raised his uh, own money, uh, two hundred thousand dollars, to uh, get basically his friends, who all happen to be, you know, Hollywood professionals, uh, mm-hmm. to come together and make a musical. Now, Joss Whedon, of course, had made a musical before. Um, in Buffy, uh, which we talked about back on Papa. Um, and uh, and so he kind of had a reputation with his fans um, for making musicals. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that, of, of this was that it would be released in three acts, which it was uh, back uh, on um, YouTube. Give you the, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was released on YouTube um, on July 15th, 2008. Two days later, on July 17th, uh, Act 2 came out. And two days after that, Act 3 came out. Um, They uh, were taken down on July 20th. uh, And then uh, they were released again on July 28th. And then eventually they were all three uh, put together as a single thing available via iTunes and DVD. You can go to Dr. Horrible right now and download it from iTunes. Um, Mm -hmm. I still still say if you haven't seen it... um, Find a way to, you know, buy it for 15 bucks, whatever on. I just support this independent film, which was so important yeah. um, in in making uh, independent film. Uh, yeah. So that being said, um, uh, it spawned comic books. Uh, they did a commentary, a musical commentary, which is also commentary really, really, the musical. Really yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, what we're here to talk about is Dr. Horrible Sing Along Blog. Uh, what was your experience seeing it? Well, it's interesting that we're it's interesting that we're starting a uh, a, a podcast about uh, totally superhero, but uh, not about to, it's totally superhero the podcast. No, it's not. It's totally super the puck blah. 
It's um, all right. Cut it's that all time. out. Cut that all out. I refuse to be seen nope. as. No. Nope. No, it's staying. <laughs> it's staying. <laughs> um, Go ahead. It is interesting that we are starting a movie, or we're starting a podcast about superheroes with a movie that is about subverting the tropes of superheroes. Uh, however, most of the tropes of superheroes are now so much of our collective conscious that we don't really need to... Anybody listening to this already subconsciously knows what most superhero tropes are. So we don't need to, we don't need to establish that before we subvert it. Um, overall, I remember... Uh, you know, I watched it 10 years ago, and then I watched it yesterday in preparation for this. Uh, both times, I thought it was very good. Um, both times, I thought Yesterday it was, was only fun. your second time hearing it, seeing it? Yeah. Um, wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, and what was interesting to me about this second time was looking at it and being like, wow, this feels dated now. Like... Not in a not in a horrifically bad way or anything, but there was just this sense of ah, oh, this is not nearly as groundbreaking now. Like I'm shocked by yes, it's been ten years, but you know, before the advent of the internet, ten years was not that huge amount of time when it comes for the when it comes to the evolution of of uh, artistic taste and social progress. Uh, now apparently, and this movie really drove it home for me. Ten years is an eon. Uh, where so much can change. Uh, so that was one thought that jumped out at me. Well, um, I think it's also worth noting that it might not be that it's dated. It might be that it's written by Joss Whedon. Um, so so everything that you get, you know, with like Captain Hammer going, going, I hate the homeless. Ness problem. Ness problem you know, in our yeah, city. Yeah. That, 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 that sort of thing in a superhero movie where it's all sort of self-deprecating. And you go, wait a minute, this is the man who wrote Avengers. And mm -hmm. Avengers, more than any of the films, because Iron Man had its own kind of snark, but it was not like things are now. And no. Iron Man 2 had a lot of improv. Thor did it. It wasn't until you got to the Avengers that you got sort of the mastery of this, this, you know, you know, the the joke, the, the joke that undercuts the heroic nature of the per that it was really Avengers that did that. Mm -hmm. Um so what you might be feeling is 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 not just that it's dated, but that it's it's passe now because the yeah, writer because of this so done. Yeah. Yeah, the, the writer of this wrote the movie, but basically wrote the book um that's kind of based on this. Yeah. Um like and so it's so it might not be that it's dated as much as that it's it's all passe because this became the norm because the writer was the same. That is this. that's entirely possible, yeah. So um, um before we go into the review, I just want to, is it okay if I go over real quick? And, and for those who haven't seen it, uh, just a brief gloss over of the plot. Yes, absolutely. And we should probably say here pretty much for any movie that we're going to be doing, spoilers abound. Uh, yeah. This, this is not the podcast to listen to to think, uh, should you listen, watch a movie? Although, you know, maybe what we could do is just before every time that we dive into a movie, say, hey, if you've seen it, you probably should, or because there's definitely going to be some movies that we get into that we're just like, hey, unless you really are into masochism, you really don't need to see this film. Yeah, uh, either 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 way, we're going to spoil things right now. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, but yes, Dr. Horrible, if you haven't had a chance to see it, it's 30 minutes, go and watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of this. 
Doctor Horrible is a is a young man named Billy who uh, who has an online blog, basically like a podcast, uh, where he goes on and, and describes his uh, his um, attempts to get into the evil league of evil, which where he interacts with his listeners and at the same time he uh, pines uh, over this blog uh, for the girl he knows the at the laundromat named Penny. Uh, right. Doctor uh, Horrible, Doctor Horrible slash Billy um, gets a letter from the evil league of evil. Um, who is run by the uh, by the mysterious bad horse? Uh, who at the end of the movie you find out is actually a horse. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that he um, has the opportunity to get in if he does something uh, major. Um, he's been afraid at this point to uh, say anything to Penny uh, when he sees her every day at the laundromat. But when he goes to do his initial heist, uh, uh, he has everything set up and Penny finally speaks to him for the first time, um, which he absolutely blows because his attention is split in two different places. Um, the heist starts to go off completely as planned. He gets the Wonderflonium that he was trying to get. But in the middle of the heist, uh, um, who should appear but Captain Hammer, the uh, the good guy again we're subverting this in that billy is a nicer person than captain hammer is but captain hammer is the is the hero um i will also uh, point out just real quick and this will tie into what i talk about later it is important to note neither of them are the good guy interesting okay go on um uh 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 penny is uh is collecting signatures because she wants to help the homeless um uh, Dr. Horrible gets away with the thing he was trying to get, the Wonderflonium, but not before being embarrassed and inadvertently introducing Penny to uh, to um, Captain Hammer, which ends the first act. Act two begins uh, with Dr. Horrible becoming obsessed with the relationship between uh, Penny and Captain Hammer, um, wishing he could do anything to stop it, trying to uh, trying to uh, forge a connection with Penny, bring her frozen lo- yogurt, and at the same time uh, talking on his blog about how he's going to try again to impress Bad Horse uh, with a uh, with another amazing attack this time um, on uh, on the mayor's uh, on the mayor's office. Of course, Captain Hammer, the LAPD, off camera, uh, find him and defeat him. And Bad Horse basically says the only way you're going to get the eagle leave evil league of evil now is to kill someone um and if you don't you might yourself die um not sure if he can go through with it uh he um with his best friend and roommate moist uh tries to figure out uh what he's going to do how he's possibly going to come up with a solution and he can't bring himself to do it but it's then that captain hammer uh comes to see him and penny in a uh in the laundromat and reveals uh his intention to uh be an absolute cad and use penny for sex which makes uh which makes billy decide that captain hammer is the one he's going to kill uh in the third act um in the third act um captain hammer is uh has basically decided to help the homeless uh in order to impress penny but in doing so he uh he holds a conference where he uh where he embarrasses penny penny goes off to the side and it's at that point that dr horrible shows up freezes time uh is about to kill captain hammer but his his uh freeze ray fails captain hammer comes to beats up uh dr horrible takes dr horrible's death ray and is about to fire it but it malfunctions explodes kills penny um causing captain hammer to run off uh gain 
gaining Dr. Horrible entrance to the Evil League of Eagle because Evil League of Evil um, because uh, Dr. Horrible has managed to kill someone and this trauma um, pushes Billy over the edge to a darker, more, more soulless place as you see him look at the end of the um, movie with soulless eyes saying that he doesn't feel a thing. Well and done, sir. Well done. This Dr. Horrible sing along block. Um, and also they sing. <laughs> Also, they sing amazing songs. Um, okay, your uh, uh, your impression singing. So you are a musical theater actor. Yes. Um, you you make your money. You make your living, and have for nigh a decade um, by uh, by creating, directing, and performing musical theater. Correct. Yes or no? Correct. As a musical, how does it work for you? Um, for me personally, as a musical, the structure of it as a whole works very well in that the the songs in this um they for the one thing they they all sort of sound like they're from the same genre they're each different but like uh with uh, once more with feeling part of the the conceit of that was to have a whole bunch of different genre songs which as a whole made the quote unquote the album potentially sound a bit disjointed uh, this one, I felt like all the songs, when listened back-to-back, hang together a little bit more. But more importantly, the songs in this, every song advances the story. Uh, it reveals more about character, while at the same time advancing the plot, which is what you want in a good musical structure. What you do not want in a good musical structure is uh, people like a scene happening, people stop, they sing, and then the scene continues. If... You can tell the story, like if you're li- if you're watching a musical, and you can tell the story, even remotely well by taking the songs out, it is not a good musical. Um, so that is my sense for the structure of it. I think that aspect is handled very well. Uh, the music itself, the the lyrics are great. Uh, the music is, as is my feeling with most Joss Whedon stuff, the music is fine to me. I don't dislike it. It doesn't particularly grab me. Uh, it's sort of the with a lot of Whedon's music, and this also applies to uh, Once More with Feeling. Like it starts off great, and you feel it about to really go somewhere, but then it doesn't quite land. Uh, now that's just totally me. Uh, it is worth noting that if you go on YouTube, you can find a million people singing karaoke covers of the music in this. Some people love it. They listen to it in the car all the time. And that is awesome. Uh, this clearly, there are catchy tunes in this that have caught a lot of people. Uh, it's just not one of the things that jumped out uh, predominantly for me. So that's my thought on it. How about you? Um, uh, and I, I'm only going to touch briefly on the music, but I would say that uh, I find the songs to be uh, mostly hit and miss. Um, uh, there are songs uh, like... Um, the end of act two brand new day i think is a great song i think it's a legitimately good song i think that um, my freeze ray is uh is clever and fun and fun to listen to i think that uh a man's gotta do is is really good i think the caring hands and penny song which are both kind of the same song not Mm -hmm. not very good um uh the the lyrics uh, the the lyrics are fine but it's when i listen to the album i skip it um, it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of boring. Um, there's no cleverness to it. The lyric it, it's it just doesn't do uh, 
much for me. Um, the So They Say is fine, but a little bit perfunctory. Um, Everyone's mm-hmm. a Hero is so much fun. And I think when it le- when the music leans on the great lyrics, um, it does really well. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think everything you ever at the end, the, the thing at the end of the uh, of the show is really haunting. I did. Um, I did. The uh, the music in the third act I noticed jumped out at me more than the music in the first two. Um, I want to talk real quick about the production, um, um, and not the production history, like how it was made, but just how it comes off to me as a filmmaker, because that's sort of what I do. Absolutely. Um, um you can tell that this is done cheaply. Um, oh yeah. You have to accept that it's done cheaply. Um, you can tell that they're on the same street from Buffy. Um, I know that street. That street's been in a bunch of things. Um, um, uh, uh, you can tell that they're on a, that they're on a back lot. You can tell when they're shooting the laundromat or when they're in the actual outside, you can tell that they just didn't have, uh, um, time to shoot sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. you can tell, for instance, uh, in an ironic twist of production, when Billy comes outside, comes outside and goes, it's a brand new day and the sun is high. Clearly. They had run out of light that day, and the sunshine shining, sunshine shining on them is clearly a a sunlight lamp um, that is meant to look like sunshine. Uh, the sky does not look like it's a brand new day, and the sky is high, sun is high. Um, mm-hmm. There are scenes where, from one angle, it looks one way, and the other angle, it's clearly being color color corrected to try and there match. Is, there is nothing polished about this film. Yeah, but that's sort of the point. Um, well, I don't know if it's the point so much as that's what they could do. I mean, it's, well, but it's I think I, that's the thing is, but I think that, but that was sort of what he was going for with doing this, especially during the writer's strike was like, look, you don't need studio level polish to well, make something that's, that is uh, yeah, engaging. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I don't think his point was to make it look bad um, or to make it look obvious that it was poor, cheap, but his point was to make it as look as good as you could cheaply. Yes. Um, um, uh, but clearly there are things in there. There are tricks in there that I see that I've done and clearly just like there, it was, it was, you know, it was done at about the same level of one as one of my ninjas movies. Um, it's more mm-hmm. expensive because it's shot in LA with SAG actors and in union crew. No, I was um, actually thinking, uh, it looked, it had very much the, the same look as one of your ninjas films. Um, um, I would say that, uh, that, um, that you need to be able to get past that. Now I love cheap cinema um, there. I think there, there are legitimately good films and I think they're really fun, bad films um, out there to watch um, that were done, uh, that were done for nothing. Um, and I think that you're right in that part of the charm of this is that you, you accept that this is something that is kind of homemade and, and this is what you can do. It, it's a lot easier to accept that kind of homemade cheap cinema feel when you're watching it on YouTube, like YouTube has made it like if if we were going into a theater and sitting down and got Dr. Horrible production values, even for like an hour and a half, it would feel cheap. But when seen on YouTube, you know, through that small little window and also just knowing that it's an Internet film, it doesn't come off as cheap at all. It feels perfectly appropriate for the medium. Yeah, well, and I think that it also um, it spawned a lot. I mean, it was very important for like it came out when we were in the in the midst of production. Um, but I think it was very important for people um, who made independent films and made cheap films to go to go. You know what? You 
you can if you bring heart to it and you and and you try real hard because let's i want to be really clear um Dan, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. So, <laughs> I'm Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> that would Neil have been Patrick, a very different film. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris um, is an astounding actor who's bringing a lot of depth to what he does. Um, mm -hmm. But Felicia Day is is she's also a very good actress, and she she is bringing stuff to this. But she is not the same caliber as, let's say, you know, Meryl Streep. Um, yeah. And Nathan Fillion, well, especially is, at this point in her career, she's not nearly as seasoned as she is now. Yeah, she, no, now she she she's astounding now, and she's good here, and she's charming here. Um, but there's a clearly they didn't have a thousand takes to do it. Clearly they didn't have a thousand years to to rehearse it. Like if if the Avengers is going to see a Broadway show, and Buffy was going to see. A, a well-funded regional theater. This is a really good community theater production. I think that's um, a perfect example. Yeah, and and you have Nathan Fillion, uh, doing a deliberately bad performance, um, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. This is a guy who can bring lots of levels to what he does, and he is deciding on this really hammy, sometimes distractingly hammy, especially in Act Three, uh, performance. But it's you. You are part of watching community theater. Is they're gonna get bad acting, but it's part of the fun. You are you are yeah. you are carried forward by the enthusiasm of the people doing it. It's the I, I've actually said this about why I love going to see college theater and even community theater is because while you lack the polish, what you sometimes get even more of than at a professional Broadway show is that raw sense of energy underlying it. It's There's enthusiasm and eagerness, and it is that there is a charm to unvarnished, vulgar energy. And I don't mean vulgar in terms of, uh, in terms of bad words. I mean vulgar in terms of just lacking class and polish. Uh, there's a charm to it. It's, it's infectious. It's, you know, it really, it stokes my enthusiasm. Well, and I think that I want to be really clear because, you know, not that they're ever going to hear this, but I want to be really clear. These are three talented actors with very long resumes at this point. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think that that necessarily um, Neil Patrick Harris is is bringing that next level up really detailed performance in what he's doing um, mm -hmm. down to the little facial tics that he has down to down to the the you need to be with him when his soul gets just crushed um and so i i think that's necessarily being done but i don't think that it's a it's a sign of of one person's talent or another person is not i just yeah. think that 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 the cheapness of this um demanded you know you know you do a take and be done do a take and be done we got to keep rolling yeah um good good enough is good enough good enough is good enough and i think that it's 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 such a party. You get the sense that you're not 100% in on the joke. And I think that's helpful too because what I like about Joss Whedon's work, what I like about Kevin Smith's work is I know that I'm not 100%. When 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 the when in Clerk someone goes that that guy smells worse than Walt Flanagan's dog. Now at the time, now I know who Walt Flanagan is. At the time I didn't know who Walt Flanagan was. Mm -hmm. I had no idea who they're talking about. But I'm fine with it. Like it's it's hearing them be in on the joke is there part are, of the enthusiasm. It's it's the same sort of thing with an actor in the you know a director will give an actor something to connect with in a scene. Now frequently that is not 
something that the audience is ever going to get. Like if the director is saying, okay, I want you to think back to this one particular childhood memory or something like that. There is no way that the audience is going to look at the actor's face and see, oh, they must be remembering this kind of specific childhood memory. Uh, but what they do see is legitimate, sincere connection. In the same way, so long as it's not overly done, an in-joke on stage or in film will still be funny to us, even if we don't know all of the joke, because we can see the joy and laughter and delight that is coming from the actors when they tell it. And it's that emotion. The emotion bleeds over to us, even if the exact details do not. Well, and I think it should be no surprise to anyone that, you know, the 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 two reporters who are talking in it um, are the are, are two of the showrunners from Buffy and Angel and that pretty much all the bad guys are the rest of the showrunners from Buffy. And that Angel. makes a and lot of sense. Yeah. And the, and that the, the the we do the weird stuff. Um, the uh, the the shorter girl in that is uh, um, Marissa Trancaren, uh who is uh, now the who wrote half of this and is now one of the showrunners of Shield and married to one of Joss Whedon's brothers. Um, That's awesome. It should be uh, who's I think it's Jed that she's married to, and she and Jed run Shield. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think it should. Be, um, and her brother is actually uh, Kevin Trancaren, who uh, directed the last Cloverfield. Uh, or one of that's very films. cool. Um, um, it should be no surprise that Sarah, Mag- Sarah Michelle Geller is sitting next to the three of them in sunglasses and a weird black wig uh, during the during the big um, during the big. Um, oh, that's funny! Conference. I didn't even notice. So that. if you that's yeah, great. if you see the three of them watching, there's this this black wig. The only person wearing sunglasses in the whole room. That's Sarah Michelle Geller. That's um, amazing! I love it. That, just just the idea that that these guys all got together. It's like they Daniel Craig together, in a friends. stormtrooper outfit. That's awesome. Yeah, they they just got together because they're friends, and yeah. they wanted to make something good and fun, and I well, it's it makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, so moving on from talking about uh, the music and uh, the production and things like that, uh, let's now talk about uh, really how this relates to the superhero genre as a whole. And I was realizing as I watched this. Uh, there's a question I'm going to ask about this film uh, that I'm going to be asking about literally every film that we watch. Because uh, I think it is the it is one of the core major dramatic questions that any superhero film asks to a, with different answers and to varying degrees. And that is, what does it mean to be a hero? When you think about it, that is really at the heart of so much of superhero films, not just the origin films, but uh, but all of them. So, well, let me pose I, this one to you. Well, let I me w- pose this one. Sure, go ahead. I was going to say, and in context of this film, what does it mean to be a villain? Yes. Um, the so let me first pose that question to you, Justin. Is what do you think this movie says about what it is to be a hero? Whew. Um, I think. Haha. <laughs> go. Uh, go. Um, I think that what this movie is trying to get across um, about about what it means to be a hero is that um, your intentions uh, are not enough and just your actions are not enough. I think within uh, the characters of Billy and the characters of Captain Hammer, there are the component pieces for a true hero and a true villain. I think that that Billy's uh, intentions, uh, B- Billy's intentions with Captain Hammer's actions um, 
uh, would almost make a hero, though Billy's intentions are always selfish. Um, Billy mm-hmm. is always looking for the girl he wants to impress her, to get notoriety, to to be seen, to um, so maybe not even intentions. He just see he seems pretty nice. I think that's the th- Billy to me is. Uh, let me jump off that if you don't mind. The uh, um, Billy is he's like he's the he is the next step of the archetypical nice guy. Uh, what you said is, I don't think his intentions are good. Yeah, I want to back but, off of but, everything I just no, said. No, 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 but, but here's the thing. No, this is what I want to build off. It is, I don't think Billy's intentions are actually good, but I'm convinced that Billy thinks his intentions are good. Yeah. And, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that... <sighs> You know, I think that Billy. Um, I'm going to back. I'm going to. I'm going to disagree with everything I just. Boy, this is a hard question. Um, I'm going to back up everything I just. Well, said. that's I, what we do here at Totally Super. Is we I, pose the hard questions about think, simple I, films. I think that Billy is a sociopath. Actually, I think. <laughs> I, I love. I'm watching you make these discoveries in real time. This is really exciting. Well, well it's it's so like like he seems so nice. But I'm going through the entire movie in my head and going through every scene he's in, and every scene is just to get what he wants, and he doesn't care what he has to do to what he get to get what he wants. He lies. Let me help you a little. Even even in the nicest scene, he lies about the yogurts. Um, yeah, he is. He is. He is the worst boyfriend. He is maybe if he was Penny's boyfriend, he would maybe be a worse boyfriend than Captain Hammer. This is cool that you realize it because this is something that I re- I did not think this ten years ago. Yeah. But I'm watching this now and I'm really seeing it now. Granted, uh, you know something we're going to be coming to right now. At the time of this being recorded, uh, the Golden Globes just happened. We've just had the Me Too movement. Like there is an amazing, super exciting watershed moment happening in. Not just Hollywood, but the country as a whole. Uh, I feel like we're in a really exciting place toward, uh, in a very exciting place for the feminist movement um, and just for equality in general. Uh, And that cannot help but color, to a certain degree, uh, everything that I watch. Now, we're going to, you know, this is not going to be a political podcast. But when you're dealing with mythic stories of which superheroes are, you cannot help but bring the events of the day into it. So that being said, uh, I would now like to start our next, uh, (laughs) this is a next segment that I think we're going to be doing a lot of at Totally Super, which is Justin and Arthur, two straight white guys of privilege, try to discuss social progress. Mansplaining. Mansplaining (laughs) Mansplaining by Justin and Arthur. Uh, uh, (laughs) Um, So this is what jumped out at me, is in this both Captain Hammer and uh, Dr. Horrible are both two different but very real examples of toxic masculinity. Captain Hammer is the more obvious and more uh, certainly more stereotypical one of the, you know, me strong, me do things that the might makes right. He is super, super entitled because everything's always come to him because of his strength and his looks, and he's never really had to think much beyond that. Um, we have been trained as a society to sort of, well, certainly as, a, uh, as the society that watches superhero films, we've been trained to kind of not like that kind of guy for a long time. Um, and yet, ironically, Billy, all the superhero guys are like that. They're all are like big that giant no, yeah. men who punch stuff. I mean, that's well, but yes, but they're not entitled about it. Yeah, um, except for Thor, Billy. Well, except for Thor, you're right. Which 
they do show as a flaw of his at the beginning. Um, th- the first Thor is about him losing that sense of entitlement. Uh, Billy, in his own way, is just as entitled. Billy is the nice guy in high school who, on the one hand, sees through all the BS of what culture is telling him about what it is to be a good person or, you know, he sees through the BS of Captain Hammer very clearly. He he quite accurately identifies that the world would be a better place if everyone else saw through this BS. Um, but on the other side of that comes his own entitlement that uh, that I he's like, I've never gotten the girl. I've never, you know... This guy, this Captain Hammer guy is BS. He doesn't deserve the girl, but I do because I'm so much smarter and so much insightful and possibly even because I feel more. Um, well, and I think that's I think that that last bit is the thing. And I think that, you know, there's an uncomfortable realization that I make here that I always sided with Billy because oh, Billy I was, was I was 100 percent Billy. In Billy high was me in high school. I was yeah. a horrible boyfriend. <laughs> Um, I was the I was the counter programming to the to to the toxic male. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. I was. I was the song. I was the I was the songwriting, romantic, flower giving, you mm-hmm. know, deeply feeling poetry writing, you know, guy who then you get together with. It. It's really nice. But gosh, did you did you have to talk to that other guy? Like why did you why did you have to do like that suddenly the jealousy comes in the, oh, the, interesting. the, yeah. the insidious kind of under you know and I think that that you know it's an uncomfortable truth I look at I know guys like this who who really don't under the, the kind of guys who go you know, who post memes on the internet about uh, about you know, why why do women you know wh- why do women you know, always mad because they get they don't choose the nice guy like me they choose this yep. guy and that's why they get what they get well I mean it's or you know, women are people, and not to be mm-hmm. pined for and manipulated into loving you. Well, um, it's why the whole the whole myth of the friend zone is finally. And I, I will admit, I fully bought into the myth of the friend zone when I was in high school and college. Um, and that's finally getting uh, destroyed in a good way. Uh, like, yeah, I, you and I are both in the same boat. Had I watched this film twenty years ago. I would have absolutely seen it as a tragedy about the world screwing over this one nice guy who really, why didn't Penny, why couldn't Penny have just been smarter and just got, couldn't she have seen how much Billy cared? Uh, Watching it now, I'm realizing, oh, this is, this is something totally different. Uh, Now, you know, when Billy is singing at the end, but you know, Penny is dead and he's got this thing, there's part of me that's just like, how did you think this was going to end? This is not going uh, to go the way This is not going think. to go the way you think. Yes. Um, like, there's a sense of like, honestly, what else did you think was going to happen here? Well, and, at the, like, he, he becomes a villain. It's just like, you're not a good person. Well, and that's, and I think it's worth noting that, that if you really looked at it, had that day not happened, um, Captain Hammer is the kind of guy that a woman later in her life would go, yeah, and I dated that a-hole. Yeah, well, Penny um, was but, walking but, away from him on stage. But, like, she'd but, already made the decision. But Billy is the kind of guy who a woman walks away from and says, yeah, that guy ruined my life for a few years. Ooh, um, that's a good, that is a nice distinction. Billy, you know, yeah. you know, Ca- Captain Hammer is bruising, but Billy is poison. Um, Ooh! Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. um, and and I and boy, it's painful to say that because I, I care for Billy. Like I want to grab Billy by the shoulders. Is what I want to do. He's so likable. 
dude, come on, man. You got to like underneath it all. I think that Billy has a good heart, which has also been poisoned. Um, yes. And, and Billy could be turned into something better. But he doesn't because he's too selfish. Wow. I'm making a real realization about this movie. Oh. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I was watching that. Like, that was the thing that jumped out at me when I was watching it yesterday. I was like, now, and I'm pretty. Now, obviously, we can't say with any degree of certainty whether that was what Joss Whedon was going for when he wrote it. But man, is it clear as day to me now. Um, it's like nobody comes off looking great in this film. I mean, the closest per the closest one to come off looking good in this film is Penny, but even she could be, uh, there's arguments about her naivete in it. Yeah. But at least her naivete is not something that she's doing. Yeah. And you at, know, le- at least Penny is genuinely noble. Yeah. She, so she is, she is the only noble one and and look it would be easy you know hero worship is not it's a real thing right yeah like 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 people do fall for everything penny does is completely understandable and it is enormously to her credit that that quickly she realizes oh man this guy i'm dating is a douchebag yeah um wow uh, this is a again making realizations. I did. I, so, what does this add to the genre? I think this adds to the genre the idea that um, I, I think it. I think it might be a commentary on uh, commentary on uh, the on different kinds of toxic masculinity, whether or not it intended to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly on the surface, it's very clear that this movie was meant to show the the shadow side of the traditional hero which is that what makes a hero heroic here is not their strength or you know their ability but it's that sense of altruism uh if you have somebody who is not altruistic or who fakes it um but really is just still out for themselves even if they have all of the trappings of a hero they're not a hero um you know they're a douchebag uh at at best they're a douche um, in the same way, what it says about being a villain, uh, thinking, you know, uh, let me try to put this together right now. I would say what this is saying about what does it mean to be a villain is that thinking that you're doing something for the best and thinking that your way of doing something is right and pursuing that, that doesn't keep you from being a villain. You can't say, oh, I wasn't the bad guy because I was trying to do right. Uh, because a, uh, it, in the end, it's uh, you know it's results, not intention, that really decides that. And b, odds are half the time that you say, "Oh, I'm doing this," you know, because it's the right thing to do. There's probably a selfish reason underneath it. Well, and I think it's worth noting that in order to be a true hero, um, the a the ends can't justify any means, mm-hmm. and b. The person who would benefit most from it cannot be you. Now, you're not a villain. You know, like, for instance, uh, um, I have a so I have a job. Um, I'm I, I have a job where I work. I work in healthcare, and I and I do help people in my job. And people, people have mm-hmm. said people have said what you do. You're a hero. And I've never felt quite right about it um, because mm-hmm. I may be a hero. But when I put myself on the schedule, it's not because oh, I got to go help some more people. I put myself on the mm-hmm. schedule because I was like, ah, you know what? I gotta, eek, we're we're hurting a little in the in in the budget. I I better go do a couple more shifts. Um, yeah. 
Now, when I'm at my well, job, there's also when I when I'm at my job, I try to help people, and I and I and I do everything I can to help people. Um, and I'm and and I think that more than others who do my job, I do look out for trying to help people. But I I don't feel like it makes me a hero, as it would if I were to take my skills and go down, you know, and help Haitian refugees for nothing. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. different. And I think that that Captain Hammer. You know that, that I'm not good or bad for going to do what I do. That's that's me doing my job. A hero is someone. Mm-hmm. You know, a hero is Peter Parker, who has anonymity. Peter Parker gets nothing out of being a Spider Man. It's actually damaging to him to be Spider Man. Mm-hmm. But he's oh, do- that's a nice distinction. That sense that Spider Man's not the hero. Peter Parker is. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, Tony Stark doesn't need to be Iron Man and doesn't benefit him to be Iron mm-hmm. Man. It's, it's a hero is a hero because. They and I, and I don't want to go, you know, and first responders are not here. Yeah, they I they mm-hmm. are. They're well, very and here's brave. The thing. We're I going mean, it's, to it's, become, like we're going to be bringing up this question a lot. And depending on the movie and depending on the day, our answer is going to be different. And that's OK. That's the beauty of this conversation. Um, and but, maybe uh, and sorry, here's, so, and here's here's a perception question. I am not mm-hmm. a hero to me, but I've saved people's lives and I've found things and I'm probably a hero to them um and certainly certainly i just made a comment about that but you know i've had cops be a hero to me where i've been like oh my gosh thank goodness you know you did this you were my hero and And and, they were just punching the clock and to them maybe they don't feel like they're a hero they're just like well i'm just doing what i do um so maybe i think that i think the real key in this and it's going to be an important thing Uh, You've heard me talk about this before. Stories are incredibly powerful. They can be tremendous tools for good, but also, if we're not careful, tremendous tools for, well, evil, for lack of a better word. And I think one of the – I love the story of the hero, the hero's journey. Um, I mean, it is a a tale literally as old as time. Um, But one of its great dangers is that it makes us think that acts of heroism – are always moments of high adventure, high stakes, and don't happen very often. When in reality, what changes the world, um, what changes the community, what literally just makes our own lives and relationships better are a whole bunch of small, mundane acts. It Nothing about superhero films is mundane. And that's okay. That's the point of the genre. We don't go pay $15 uh, to sit down in an IMAX theater to watch something mundane. Uh, that's not the point. But it's always important for us to re- to remember when we're talking about these films that uh, the willingness to essentially put in the work and punch the clock is just as important in actual real life. Well, and I think that that, that is going to be one of the things we hit, the idea of heroism. Because, for instance, you know, one of my favorite superhero movies, and I don't know if it's anybody's on anybody's top ten list but mine, but The Crow, for instance, is mm-hmm. in no way heroic. He's a murderer. I'm really looking forward to hearing your he's thoughts a, on this. He's, he's, a, he's a murderer who by who's, I guess, taking bad guys out of the world, but he doesn't save anybody. In, mm-hmm. in the movie, he saves no one. He gets vengeance because he's mad and because the universe has told him to go get it. Um, and yet, mm-hmm. because being the protagonist might be enough to make you a hero um, because because it's his story and because what is presented to him is righteous 
is is you know he is the hero but if you were to go to you know let's say um fun boy's mom right fun boy's a bad guy in, in the crow that that mm-hmm. is killed by is killed by the crow fun boy's mom probably doesn't think that that the crow is a hero mm-hmm. to her the crow is this horrible monster who killed her son who if he had just gone into therapy might have gotten better so mm-hmm. I think that the idea of the being a hero being part partly defined by perspective, both as you know in real life and then the perspective of the audience, um, I think is important. I think in this case, though, in the case of Doctor Horrible Singalong blog, there's no perspective in which I think I don't think you're you're certainly not supposed to walk away feeling like Billy is a hero. And I I think, I think this this is a movie without heroes. It's a movie about villains. That's really interesting. That's really cool. Um, I want to make this uh, suggestion as we wrap up. Um, yeah. Uh, not only do I think that people should watch this, I think people should pay for it. As I said before, if you absolutely, if you absolutely can't pay for it, um, it is on YouTube. Um, yes, it is. Um, but uh, but I'd say you know pay for it if you can. Um, but I also think people should uh should listen to um the listen to it on I think it's on Spotify. Um, and I think the commentary is also on Spotify. Commentary, the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, it's absolutely listenable without uh, actually watching it at the same time. Um, but mm-hmm. it is also super fun. Um, yeah, there's, uh, and so there's some really insightful stuff that they do in that too. Uh, the song "Nobody's Asian" in the movies is is just changed my perspective on on, <laughs> on Asians in the movie. Um, uh, well, uh, before we uh, and before we wrap up, though, something that we've got to do, uh, which you have you have now convinced me is a is a valuable thing, is uh, so without rating this against other films, uh, on your own personal scale of whatever you want that scale to be, how would you rate this film? All right. Well, I'm going to do um, my suggestion. I like scales of one to five. Um, I usually okay. do one. I think one to four. I think I, the five stars is always this. so. I, I'd say scale of one. Well, to four. that's true because because with five stars you can get away with a three, and a three is essentially just it's a neutral. It's a met. It doesn't tell you anything. Okay, then 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 on a scale of five, we're gonna do a, a, a scale of five stars. Um, uh, uh, in, in on a scale of five briefcases of Wonderflonium, um, I would should not would should not be bounced. Um, I would put this. Yo, I'm gonna give this a uh I'm gonna give this a solid uh 3.5. Um 3.5 out of five. I almost want to say four, but there's a part of me, and look, I'm a harsh judge. Um I'd be a mm-hmm. terrible teacher because I'd be one of those teachers that goes, A, an A is only for being really special. Um and mm-hmm. I and no, I will I think make you, you and I are kind of beginning to say you're gonna hear very few five stars from me. Um which is which is by the way, if you're a teacher, don't do that, man. You're keeping kids mm-hmm. out of college when you do that. Like, 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 yeah. like, like, you know what? Know your they, audience. Yeah, people, people need those A's, man. Those A's are very valuable for long term life. So if you think someone's got a real shot at life, don't give, don't not give them an A because you think, oh well, it's only for super duper special. Um, but mm-hmm. in the case of this, uh, the only reason I, I, I can't give it five stars because five stars got to be reserved for. Five stars got to mean something. All right, in you the know same what? way that in the same way that one star needs to mean something. Yeah, you know, I'm going to bump it up. I'm going to say four stars. And I'll tell you why I'm going to say four stars, because it certainly is in the upper um, in the upper echelons of things. Uh, is the is the quality the best? No, is the acting the best? No, but it's it's important to me personally. I think it's important to uh, the culture of filmmaking. I think it's important to um, 
to specifically the culture of independent filmmaking. Um, I love the spirit of it. I love the reason why it was made. Um, I love how it was made. I've enjoyed watching it and I feel like it gives you a lot because I've, I've listened to this thing way more than I've ever watched it. So the, its existence also gives me two great albums, uh, worth of stuff to listen to. Um, um, I think for, for having to pay nothing for it when it came out, um, I think this, this gives you a heck of a lot. Um, it really introduced me to grown up uh, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, who you know, I think this was because this was just before How I Met Your Mother. This was, uh, I mean, yes, Harold and Kumar made him sort of a cult celebrity again, but this is what launched him back into legit Hollywood. Yeah, this um, movie, this this uh, introduced me to Felicia Day. Um, uh, made me feel like I had a sense of who. Um, of who Nathan Fillion really was because he's so dark in Serenity that they give me. I go like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this is. Um, uh, it um is Joss Whedon doing independent filmmaking. Um, it's my favorite writer and my favorite director doing one of my favorite uh genres smashed into another one of my favorite genres doing independent film, which is something that I adore. Um, the only reason I'm not giving it five stars, I almost want to bump it to five now, but the only reason I'm not going to give it five is because there's got to be there's got to be room. For the you know Captain America Winter Soldiers in the world, there's got to be room for those movies that just transcend what they're trying to do. Um, and I feel like this is not quite there, but a solid four. I solid four for me. Cool. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I would say. Is that it is a solid four for me. Um, I my scale on one to five is based on how much did I enjoy it. Also, there's a certain aspect of is the is the the genre, the industry, and the world made better for having this film in it, uh, and I think definitively a yes in all of those uh, to all of those questions. Uh, it launched this idea that no indie filmmaking, especially even just web-based indie filmmaking, could really be a thing. Uh, it was just it was a groundbreaking moment for web video. Uh, so in that, it certainly deserves to be honored. It it's it's a delightful thirty minutes. Um, I really enjoyed watching it. It was you know pretty darn solid acting, clever dialogue, clever lyrics. Uh, just I had fun watching it. Um, and uh, you know, and like you said, there wasn't enough in it to grab me to lift me up to a place of total transcendence, like a five star should be. But it also wasn't a thing where I was just like. You know, because a movie can be fun. Like a three star for me would be one where I watch that. Uh, you know, Batman versus Superman is three stars for me uh, because I watched it at home on Netflix and I watched it. And I was like, oh, well, that didn't suck. I I enjoyed the past hour and a half of my life, but I certainly don't feel like it was in any way groundbreaking or did anything really, really great. You're um, so funny saying so- that Batman v Superman was an hour and a half. What you watch Touche. Touche, sir. Touche. Um, but so yeah, no, I give this a very solid four stars as well. Uh well done. Would watch again. Liked it better than cats. Um uh this is uh um the end of the first episode of Totally Super. Now that we've gone this long, I will uh probably um uh when I put it together separate that out into two episodes because I think the Well yeah, cuz the first the first episode yeah. the first part of this was really us talking about the dawn of the superhero film. 
but um, which is important for us to start on. But you know what I think I'll do, guys. Uh, for you, for you, dear listeners, I will release them both at the same time. Uh, but for Whoa, me, listening, yeah, wow, two for one. Hey, hey, um, when Doctor Horrible came out, you had to wait two whole days between acts. But for this, you're getting them both at the same time. I know that the first two episodes of any podcast get listened to a lot as you decide whether or not to stick with us. Uh, I ask mm-hmm. you to stick with us because there are lots. To go, we're going to be doing weekend of review uh, of release. We reviews. have so many films. Um, uh, Black Panther is just around the corner. Um, there's there's so much to talk about that we want to share with you guys. So stick with mm-hmm. us. Um, as uh, as we find our footing. If you want to find what we were like before, there's actually lots of uh, lots and lots of episodes of Pop Off the Pop Off podcast you can listen to, where you hear us talk all about Joss Whedon and stuff. Of course, jump over to the Trek Off podcast where we talk about Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. anything to plug right now, sir? Anything going on in your life that you want to let people to know to go see? Uh, the only thing I can think of right now, not even for me, is just to, uh, for those of you who are going to keep watching this podcast, we are currently in the process of building like the social media groups like Facebook and Twitter and things like that. So that's going to be launching pretty soon. One of the things that we're really looking forward to with this podcast is giving you guys a chance to uh, to talk back to us. Part of it is because we altruistically feel like this is a that the art as a whole will benefit from a discussion and the other part of it is because we both selfishly like attention and we like people telling us hey i listened to your podcast it was pretty cool so you know there's going to be that aspect of it as well excellent um well uh thank you for listening to totally super uh, we got to come up with a sign off um yeah like seriously uh, this is- what do you how do we say hey uh uh thanks for listening to the show shazam I don't know. We hope your day is totally super. Oh, yeah. yeah. Th- I don't know. It's show. a work in progress. It's yeah, a work stay, in progress. Uh, Have yeah, a good my day. My name is Justin. I'm Arthur. Bye. Bye. Okay. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment.